Well, church, good morning. And as the early church used to greet each other, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Yes, that was the, the call to the early church. We'd celebrate uh, today like we tried back then, or they tried back then, and we're going to continue to keep that alive because he is alive. Amen? Well, I don't know about you. Have you ever had those moments you go to the fridge, open up the fridge door, and you go to grab the milk carton, and it's empty? Maybe it was a juice carton or whatever, but it's like, come on, right? You know, uh. so you go to the cupboard, you pull out the cereal, and you, crumbs. Really? That's empty too? You just get a little frustrated with breakfast, so it's like, I'm just going to get ready and go to work. Go into the bathroom, pull out my toothpaste, and it's like just one barely little squeeze left in there. It's almost empty too, and okay, whatever. And go into the shower, get out my shampoo, and you know, I was like, come on, that's empty too. This is not a good morning, right? It's, everything seems to be empty. And so I get to my car and start it up. And guess where the gas station is? Boom, over by the E, empty. So let's get to the gas station, fill it up, pull out my wallet. Well, not much cash. That seems to be empty too. Uh, a little frustrating when you have those days when everything seems to be a little bit empty, right? But today... We rejoice because the tomb is empty. Amen? Isn't that a wonderful thing? You know, the tomb is empty because Jesus is alive. We come here on Easter to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. So this morning, if you found anything empty, I hope you found the grave is still empty. And anything else that you found empty today, let it be a reminder of the truth that our God lives. He is lived. He is alive. Hey, you know, uh, the mission of Jesus Christ, everybody knows that, right? Because if you don't know why he's alive and why he came, then it sort of doesn't matter. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. That was his mission. He came here to rescue us. He came here to save us because, let's face it, we needed to be rescued. That's what we really need. You think about this. If you go to a concert or a show, you want the bright lights. You want the loud music. You want the, the person up front to be fired up and excited. You maybe want some choreographed action to, across from whoever else is on the stage. You expect to be entertained. Unfortunately, we get so used to that when we show up at church, sometimes we want the same thing. We, we want some lights. We want the worship pastor to get the, the worship team going. And we want the pastor to come up, tell us some funny stories, give us a, a powerful illustration, make us laugh, make us cry, make us walk out of here like, oh, I was entertained today. That's not why we do church. God didn't send someone here to entertain us. And here's the other thing. We, we also have problems in our life, don't we? We all seek the answers to our problems. We want somebody to come along and say, it's, it's going to be okay. Here's how you're going to fix this. When something breaks down, into whether it's ourselves or life, we want somebody to come along and, and help us. We, we want some incredible teacher or professor or somebody that just blows us away with incredible solutions and theories and thoughts and says, this is how we're going to solve this. And it's like, yes, that's what we want, right? But is that what we need? We all feel broken at times, too. Wounded physically. Some of us have gone through multiple surgeries and physical things in our lives that has hurt. Some of us have been abused. Our health deteriorates and we just want somebody to fix us. We want a healer. But God didn't send a great physician just to keep us 
from going to the hospital or to a grave. That's not why he came. Many of us want to be happy. We're tired of being depressed. We're tired of being full of sorrow. It's like I always hear bad news and we want good news. We want somebody to make us laugh. We want somebody maybe to come along and and show us what pleasure feels like. But God did not send us a therapist or a comedian, did he? See, we want all these things. We want to be entertained. We want a problem solved. We want to be healed. We, We want to be happy. Those are the things we want, but that's what, not what we need. Big difference. We need somebody to save us. Because you see, church, there is an eternity. There is an eternal hell and an eternal heaven. And we all stay, will face judgment before a righteous God, a powerful God. And we do not deserve to be with him. We deserve complete separation from this holy God. So what can save us? Or should I say, who can save us? A savior indeed, right? An inspirational speaker is not what you need. Uh, Many times I'll work with sport teams. And one of the first things I'll tell these these athletes is, I'm not an inspirational speaker. I know I come in and maybe challenge you with some things, but I'm not here to inspire you. You know what inspiration does? I'll tell you what inspiration doesn't do. Inspiration doesn't change the scoreboard. Inspiration doesn't change the win-loss column. We don't need somebody to come along to inspire us. We need somebody to save us. We need a Savior, and our Savior lives. That's what we're celebrating this morning, a risen Savior. Jesus resurrected from the dead sometime between the Sabbath sunset on Saturday evening and before the women came to the tomb on that Sunday morning. At some point in time, the power of God exploded inside that tomb, reconnecting the spirit of Jesus with the body of Jesus, flooding his corpse with life, and he arose. The historical moment, church, that's the foundation of our faith. We are the only ones that really can claim that. All other religions claim something else. They follow a dead God. We follow a live God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14 says this, And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Church, understand that. Nothing is in vain in this place today. He is alive. Amen? Matthew chapter 28, if you want to turn there, please. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that tell the life of Jesus Christ. Each of these Gospels also talk about his resurrection. At the very end of each of these books, you'll find them in these chapters. I'm going to bounce around a lot between all four of them this morning. Because here's why. Some people will say, well, you know, there's four counts of the resurrection and They contradict each other, and so how can you believe something that contradicts each other? I want to help you understand right now. When you line this up chronologically, there's no contradiction. There's a lot of complementing. And I'm not going to go through everything detail by detail, but I'm going to take you a flyover and show you how they complement one another. And you'll see the picture this morning of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's my goal. It's like, what else are we going to talk about on Resurrection Sunday? Except the resurrection. So in Matthew chapter 28, we read, beginning in verse 1, it says this, Early on Sunday morning, 
as the new day was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to visit the tomb. Now we know that Mary Magdalene was there, the other Mary, the mother of James. But we also read in Luke 24 that Joanna and some other women were along with them. Who is Joanna, you ask? Well, you dig through the Bible. Luke chapter 8 says that she was the wife of Herod's steward. She was a wealthy woman. She, along with other women, helped fund the ministry of Jesus. In Luke 23, it says that many of these women were present when Jesus was placed in the tomb, but they returned home to get the ointments and the spices to anoint the body of Jesus for his burial. So all these women are gathering these ointments and these spices, and they're going to anoint Jesus. Mark chapter 16, on that same screen on the bottom part, it says this, Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they, referring to the women, went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Understanding this, the tomb was officially locked up. Roman seals were placed on the tomb. So if you broke the seals, you would be breaking the law, and you yourself could probably be either thrown in jail or put on a cross too, just like Jesus was. So dare not break the seals, right? And it was a rather large stone, a huge stone. And they're walking with their ointments and their spices thinking, hey, how are we going to get that big stone out of there? I don't know. I didn't even think about that. Did you think? I didn't think about it. So they're on their way discussing how that stone is going to be rolled away. Well, verse 2 of Matthew 28 gives us the answer. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. I love this. The earthquake took place at the time of the resurrection before the women arrived at the garden. Matthew said it was a great earthquake. Great, the word there is mega. In other words, it was enormous. It was huge. So, and here's the thing. Just as creation shook, when Jesus was on the cross, he gave up his spirit, it is finished. The earth shook. It happened again. When Jesus died and when Jesus resurrected, the earth shook. This time, the earth shook in a very jubilant way, if you would like to use that word, right? Mark chapter 16, verse 4, it says, the women looked up, they saw the stone, which was large, had already been rolled aside. And again, this great stone, the word used there for great, same word that was used back with the earthquake, mega, it was huge. It was a huge stone. And the angel was sitting on top of it, right? Well, Scripture says in verses 3 and 4 that his face shone like lightning his clothing was as white as snow. The guards shook with fear when they saw him, and they fell into a dead faint. These soldiers were terrified of the angel. I mean, this day, the, the earth shook, stone rolls away, this angel sitting on top of it, and these Roman soldiers, these tough Roman soldiers, shake with fear and just faint on the spot. When they come to, they scatter, they leave. The women show up. These soldiers are nowhere to be found. Luke chapter 24, put up on the screen for you if you want, says that after the stone was removed, they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. Now, these young women are outside this empty tomb. It says they are puzzled and perplexed. Wouldn't you be? I mean, you think about the anticipation. Picture somebody here, basically they have no clue what's going on. It's like, what just happened? I don't know. I don't know what's happened. That's what's going on right here. You know why they don't know what's going on? Because they don't know what's going on. 
They went in that morning thinking, let's get the spices, let's get the uh, ointment, let's go take care of the body of Jesus. We're not sure how the stone's gonna get rolled away, but when they get there, stone's rolled away, angel's on top, they go inside, body's gone. Now there's two angels inside, maybe the one from the outside came in to make it two now. And they're like, we didn't expect this this morning when we woke up. And here we have all this going on. Look at what verse 5 and 8 says of Luke chapter 24. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee? That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful people and be crucified. And that he would rise again on the third day. So basically, after proclaiming the joyful news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these angels are like, hey, he's not here. He's risen from dead. Remember all this? Hey, this is what you need to do. I want you to go and tell the disciples now. We read in Mark chapter 16, verse 7, the angels told these women, he said, now go tell the disciples, I love this, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to the Galilee. You'll see him there just as you did before he died. So the angels are like, okay, he's not here, he's risen. Now go tell the disciples, hey, make sure you tell Peter. Why single out Peter? Maybe because Peter was the one who denied Jesus three times. Maybe Peter's still beating himself up, still feeling ashamed like he blew it. I'm supposed to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but I made a mistake. How could God ever forgive me for that? How could Jesus ever look at me in the eyes again and say, hey, it's okay. There's no way he could ever do that, right? So maybe Peter, with all the other disciples, locked up in the upper room right now. Maybe he's the worst right now, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And the angel's like, hey, hey, go tell this episode. Oh. Including Peter. Peter needs to hear this, right? Can you imagine how flustered these women were as they're, they're running back with all that news that morning? Remember, they were confused and perplexed. Now they got these angels telling them what to do. And so they're, they're, they're hustling back. Luke 24, 11 says, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men and they didn't believe it. Now, I know I'm going to get myself in trouble with you ladies, but please, please help me out with this, okay? The word nonsense also means like babbling, okay? Now, when women get excited about something, a lot of women get excited about something. Maybe even junior high, high school girls get excited about something. And you're in a room with them, and they're like, and they're all excited, right? I'm not going to ask for an amen, but I'm, I'm some, because some of you guys know right now, if you say amen, you're going to get a rib shot and it's going to hurt, okay? But in those moments, some of you gentlemen can understand, it's like, I have no idea what they were just saying. There's a lot of babbling going on right now. I have no clue, right? That's what, they're so excited. There's a, and then, and then, and then, and you think about the things that they were hearing. On one hand, they reported, the angels say Jesus is alive. He was dead. He's alive. Oh, by the way, we don't know where the body is. Somebody took the body. Where did the body go? I don't know. And so all, all that's going on. And he said, I was like, slow down. Where were you at? The tomb of Jesus. Okay, okay. Did they, how did that all unfold? I don't know. But Scripture just tells us there was a lot of babbling and nonsense going on, and the men had no clue. Ladies, in that moment, can I just, this is a side note. In the moment... There, there's times when we have a supernatural encounter with God. Something amazing happens in our life that probably doesn't make sense to a lot of people. 
And in those moments, you may like, you know what, you know what God did in my life, and you want, you want to share with everybody what just happened. And it's going to sound like nonsense to people. Keep talking. Keep sharing. Don't, let, don't ever let the fact that maybe somebody doesn't understand your spiritual experience keep you from sharing the good news. Praise God that these women stayed with the story. Praise God that they said, okay, we know we're excited about this because it's good news. And it inspired a couple of disciples to go check it out for themselves. Had they not been faithful in sharing the good news, the men would have never gone. So for all of us, when you've got something incredible spiritual in your life that you need to share, share it with somebody, please. Don't, don't let their confused look, look shut you down. Here we go to read on in John chapter 20, verses 3 to 4. It says that only two of the disciples reportedly left the room. It says, Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb. They were both running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. You know, by the way, you know who that other disciple was? It was the guy who was writing the story. It was John. And it's like, John's like, two other disciples left the room, but the other one outran Peter. In other words, John's like, okay, I just want to let you all know I'm faster than Peter. And so he sort of like, he slides that one in there, right? It's, it's like their feet are hitting the ground, moving before the conversation with the women ever ended. And, and apparently, and here's the other thing, the others in the room, my question is, why didn't they go? Peter and John leave, but they didn't join the two men. The others just stayed in the room. And, and I don't understand that. And again, I, I, what, we say, well, if I was there, I would have. I don't know what I would have done if I was there, honestly. I would like to say I would have ran out of that room. But I might have been one of those guys a little more laid back, like, but if we leave the room, what happens? What, maybe somebody in the room was like, hey, but what if Jesus shows up? Somebody should be here if Jesus shows up. Hey, you're right. I'll stay here with you in case Jesus is up. Hey, yeah. We don't know what happened in there, but a lot of them stayed. Two of them went. Simply a fact, you want to experience Jesus Christ and his power, sometimes you just have to get up from where you are and start moving in his direction. And a lot of times we're a little scared to do that. I want to encourage you. When Christ calls you to move, move. Go after him. So John outruns Peter to the tomb. It says, as they arrived, John chapter 20, verse 5 says, he stooped, he looked in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. So John gets there first, he bends down, takes a close peek, and it's just good enough to get a glance and see like, hey, the clothes are still laying there. That's an expensive garment. If somebody stole the body, why didn't they take the clothes too? That's, that's just weird. That's, that's unusual, right? And, and the other thing is, then why was John hesitating to go in? Maybe he's thinking, as a Jew, uh, the Jewish people in the graves, we don't want to go into a grave. Or maybe he saw the broken seals on the tomb and thought, this is a crime scene. If, if I go in and people have a witness that I was in there, and how do they know they're going to say maybe I wasn't the one who broke the seal to go in? We don't know why John didn't go in at first, but we know Peter did. Peter finally shows up on the scene, and he just darts right in. Isn't that Peter? He's the guy that jumps out of the boat. He's the guy that was always seemed to be quick to say something. Simon Peter arrived. He went inside. He also noticed the things that were lying there, the linens that were laying there. John chapter 20, verse 8 tells us that then John then entered the tomb. 
So you got both disciples that are now in the tomb looking. And it says, John, the disciple who had reached the tomb first, he had to throw that in again, by the way, also went in, he saw and believed. I love that he tosses that in. He's like, I believe. Peter stood in the middle of that empty tomb, maybe uncertain, we don't know. When Peter and John, though, they're after that moment, they leave the garden. Now, Mary Magdalene is still there. We read in John chapter 20, verse 11, that she had followed Peter and John back. So she went back. They leave to go back to the upper room. And her day started really crazy, like, right? I'm going to prepare these spices, and we're going to go anoint the body of Jesus. And then I see these angels, and he's not here. He's alive. And we go tell the disciples, and I'm coming back. And so she's come back. Because remember, the angels told her, he's not here. Maybe she's asking the question, then where is he? Where is he? So feeling dejected, feeling alone, Mary is standing outside the tomb weeping. It's now Mary's turn to sort of bend low, peer into the empty tomb to see what she can see. And she looks inside and she sees something she didn't expect. John chapter 20 tells us that there was two white-robed angels sitting at the head and at the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been laying. Now, now understand, this tomb has been looked over multiple times. The ladies were in there. The disciples were in there. Mary's back in there. It's not like one of those moments like, what did I do with my keys? Where's my glasses? Where's the remote? I set them down. I'll come back a second time. I can't remember. You come back to that third time. Like, oh, they're they're there the whole time. It isn't like Mary went in thinking, well, maybe he fell down behind a slab stone. Uh, oh, maybe he's over in the corner. I didn't look over in the corner. They've examined it. They know his body's not there. But Mary wept as she's in that tomb. And then she hears these voices, right? The angel's like, why are you crying? I mean, do you think the angels were discussing among themselves, why is she crying? We just told her he's alive. She should be excited. She should be happy. Jesus told her, too, that he was going to come back. Look at verse 14 of John chapter 20. I'll put it on the screen for you. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. She's like, I'm just going to leave the tomb. I'm going to leave the cemetery. I'm going to go back. She saw somebody standing there. It was Jesus. She didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying, Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? I mean, she's distracted with sorrow. I don't know if she's crying so hard she can't see straight or whether the risen body of Jesus is unrecognizable at this moment. But Mary turns. She sees somebody standing nearby. She thinks it's the gardener. She thinks it's the caretaker. And she says, sir, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him. I'll go get him again. Just tell me where that body is. I don't even think she's, she thinks he's alive yet. Just let me tell you, and I'll get him and I'll bring him back. At the very moment, Jesus tenderly says, Mary. And upon hearing the voice of Mary being spoken by her Savior, she turns out and cries, Rabbi. His appearance is different now, but I think Mary could recognize his voice. Today, we rejoice in this. Jesus is alive. Because of what he did at the cross, we now have access to God the Father. Jesus came 
to redeem us, to, to buy us back, so that we could have this right relationship with the God of this universe, so we could have fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, he says, it is finished. In other words, paid in full. Invoice stamped, paid in full. He paid for our sins. We have been saved. And the question is, church, I believe it. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Jesus rose from the dead. The angels announced it. Mary met him. The disciples met him. But yet it seemed like the rejoicing stopped there. It's like Mary meets them and, and there's that special moment. And then she goes back. The disciples are back. And then it's like, so we're going to get excited, right? Jesus is alive, right? Two of the disciples in the upper room say, let's, let's get out of here. So we read about these two disciples that are on the road to Emmaus. Well, if Jesus is alive, why are you leaving? Because I don't think they believed it. And so they're on the road. What does Jesus do? Jesus meets them on the road, discusses the whole situation with them, and all of a sudden they sit down to eat, and he reveals himself to them. And then, boom, he's gone. These two disciples are fired up. It's like, he is alive. They come running back to Jerusalem to meet with the other disciples. That same evening, Jesus supernaturally travels through the house, through the walls of the house, the locked doors of the house, to meet with these disciples who are gathered there, sort of fearful, maybe a little bit of cowardliness going on with them. I don't know. But you have to understand this in the Scripture. Matthew 28, to prevent the people of Israel from knowing the truth, the religious leaders bribed the soldiers to tell a lie. They made up a story, and this is what they said. You must say Jesus' uh, disciples came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stole the body. That's what the religious leaders basically told them. This is what you got to say. We're going to pay you to say it. Make sure you say it. So these guys are going around saying the disciples stole the body. Now, wait a second. If the disciples... Disciples stole the body. Let's go get the disciples. You want to know why the disciples were locked up in the room? Because they knew the whole city was probably going to be out for them. So they're locked away in the room, and Jesus just passes right through a locked door. Right? Like a ghost, right? So don't blame them or get upset with the disciples when they start thinking he is a ghost. He just walked through a wall. How could he do that? He shows up, and let's read. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. We'll read through the scripture. I'll keep putting it up on the screen for you, but follow along in your Bibles if you want. Two of the, the two from Emmaus told their story. So they're back in the upper room now of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road and how they recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking that they were seeing a ghost. Can you imagine this moment right here? I mean, they're sitting around, Jesus shows up, and they're like, he just walked through a, a wall. This has got to be a ghost, right? Jesus responds to this. He says, why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's truly me. It's really me. Touch me. Make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. He went on to say in verse 40, as he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. And then he asked them, do you have anything to eat? Like, wait, wait a minute. He eats? 
Because again, they're still thinking he's a ghost. So it's like, do I got to show you? I'm hungry. You got anything to eat? It's been a few days since I've had something. So, okay, good. Bread, fish, all right, thank you. And he starts eating. You're probably like looking at him saying, do we see the food go through his body like a ghost? No, he looks like a human to me. Yeah, he's real, right? So he starts eating with them and spends time with them, and they watched, right? Now, there was one disciple who wasn't there, and that was Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. Thomas shows up later as the story goes. And they're like, what? Jesus is alive? Yeah, he was right here. He ate food in front of us. We touched him. He said, look at my hands, look at my feet. We touched him. He's like, no, I don't believe you. Check this out. John chapter 20, verses 26 to 27 says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas is with them. The doors were locked again, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, it's like, I know you weren't here. I know you're doubting. Come here. Put your finger right here. Look at my hands. Put your finger right here. Put put your hand into my wound. Come on, touch me. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, Thomas, believe. Jesus appeared to his disciples again at the Sea of Tiberias, John 21. Disciples gathered together on the mountain Galilee, gave them the great command. That's in Matthew 28. So we got all these more of these opportunities, these moments when people are eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. One of my favorites, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 6. It says, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Here's all your eyewitnesses. Now, you and I all know this. When you see something pretty incredible, something pretty spectacular, you're like, hey, did you see? And you're like, I don't know. So you show them on your phone, right? You're like, well, here, see this? But if you don't have that, you're like, well, hey, he was, come here, come here, tell them what what we saw. And then all of a sudden, you got a second eyewitness, and now they're telling it, and you're like, oh, okay, I believe you now. You're like, why didn't you believe me when I told you? Well, I sort of did, but now there's two of you, so it's got to be true now, right? How about 500 witnesses? How about 600 witnesses? Five to 600 witnesses would be about the number of people that came to church today. This morning, first service, about every seat was full except for the front row, okay? And there's about 340 chairs set up in here. So let's just say both services are completely full. I was up here. I took my water and I had one drink, and I put it down, and you all saw me do it, and the first service all saw me do it. And a very simple fact, Pastor Rex took one drink of water today while he was preaching. Yep, we saw it, we saw it. You can't refute that, can you? You all saw me do it. The first service all saw me do it. It's gotta be true. Jesus was alive. He showed himself to over five, 600 people. What more evidence do we need? What do you believe, church? Listen, your beliefs only matter if the substance of what you believe is solid. What we believe is solid. It is true. It's recorded, cannot be refuted. It is true. He is risen. Let me say that again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm sure I've shared this story with you before. So if you're like, oh, I've heard this before. I know how you stand on this one, Rex. Just you know, just deal with me. Everybody else who's never heard this before, this is new for them, okay? 
But there's a certain cheer when I've gone to ball games, a certain cheer from the student section, usually, that comes out that sort of annoys me a little bit. And it's, it's the, I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. Do you know that cheer? Have you heard that cheer before? Some of you are like, yeah. Some of you have never heard it. Here's when they usually cheer. When there's 10 seconds left on the scoreboard and they're up by like 5,000 points and there's no way the other teams are ever going to come back, then the student section is, hey, there's like 10 seconds left. We have really smoked this team. Yeah. Hey, I believe we're going to win. I believe we're going to win too. I believe that we will win. It's like, no, you know you're going to win. Look at the scoreboard. You know it. There's no believing. You know what believing is? Believing is 10 seconds before the game ever starts. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. That's believing. See, the disciples, they had the scoreboard right in front of them. Jesus is alive. Touch me, feel me. And like, okay, all right, hey, we saw you again, saw you again. It wasn't until like 40 days after Jesus ascended into heaven that finally the disciples were like, I believe we're going to win. You're going to win the day he was born. But the disciples took a long time to figure it out. So church, I'm trying to help you today to understand this. I want you to understand this. We win. Oh, wait, wait. I, I said that wrong. We won because he won. And I get it. Some days are going to be harder than other days. There's things in your life and my life that were like, I don't feel like I'm winning today. I know. I get it. But he already won. And because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we win as well. We just may not see it on this side of eternity. But in some day, we will. He is risen. He is alive. And praise God, he is victorious. Worship team, would you come forward, please? I would encourage you. When you wake up in the morning, you can start off the day if you want by saying, I believe that I will win. I believe that I will win, okay? Even if it's a rough day. But spiritually speaking, you will win. We have to endure at times, no doubt about it. You know, I want to rewind back real quick to those disciples. I think the church gathering together is so important. When the two disciples were on their way to Emmaus, when did they actually see it was Jesus? Well, he revealed himself to them, right? But it's when they sat down and he talked with them, he prayed with them, he broke bread together. When did the disciples, other disciples, realize it was Jesus? When he brought himself into their presence and they were gathered together and he broke bread and started to eat again. I believe it's important for the church to gather together, to worship, to break bread, to pray together, to worship together. I believe that's when Jesus reveals himself to us at most times. I think uh, sometimes as a church, we're expecting perfection here. Not just from anybody in the church, but the church itself. People walk away from the church every year and they get upset. I understand, but here's the thing. Just to let you know, we're not called to be perfect. We never will be. This church won't solve your problems. This church will not make you happy. The church is called here to, to gather together, to pray for one another, to love one another, to break bread with each other to serve one another. That's what the church is here for. We worship our risen Savior. And just like on the road to Emmaus or in the upper room, when we gather together to worship, 
I believe Jesus shows up every time. You wonder why sometimes you leave the church, a Bible study or a small group, and you've experienced some peace or maybe you had some joy or some tears or maybe some smiles. It's because when you were gathering, Jesus was gathering with you. And it was good. Jesus is alive and he's still seeking to open our eyes to see the risen Savior. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the recorded history of what the disciples witnessed, what the ladies witnessed, what they experienced to show us that your son, Jesus, is alive, conquering sin, conquering death, coming back to life, empowering us now to live holy lives. You didn't call us to be perfect, but we're striving to be holy like you. And God, we pray that as we leave this place today, that Heavenly Father, you will equip us and empower us with your spirit to live victorious lives. I believe that we will win. And, and, and Heavenly Father, it may not be in my daily life certain things. I'm still going to have some bad stuff happen. It may not be until my eternal presence with you that I see complete victory. But God, what you did on the cross, what you did in the grave, what you did coming back to life, says it all and did it all. Thank you, Heavenly Father. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you, Lord. We want to sing to you. In our name we pray. Amen.